Turn with me to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. The seven thunders, so called by many. The Lord indeed has thundered this past week. To many of us, we never thought this day would come. And we know that the world of godliness, godly, godlessness will continue to reel. But our Lord has shown himself victorious. That his voice, his power, and his ways make all the kings of the earth who take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed come to nothing. This, in one sense, is one of the large themes of the Psalms and ought to stir our hearts as we think about it. Let us read this psalm together. You follow, I will read out loud. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits, over the, sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The scriptures teach us that the word of God is living and powerful. It is said to be like fire that consumes and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Hebrews 4.12 and Jeremiah 23.29. When the voice of the Lord is heard, things happen. God said, let there be, and there was. The heavens and the earth came into being. When God spoke on Sinai, the mountain trembled. 
Isaiah tells us that the Lord looks with favor on the humble and contrite, and he, or she, who trembles at my word. When God broke his silence on Mount Calvary, the earth shook. The veil was rent. And contrite, the humble and the contrite trembled before him. The sky became black as coal. And when it was heard again three days later, there was an earthquake and the stone of our Lord's tomb was rolled away. The voice of the Lord is heard in both his thunderings and his whisperings. His whisperings of peace. There are times, as with Elijah, that he did not speak through the thunder, the sound, and the earthquake, and the wind, but through the still fall small voice. And yet it was just as powerful. Psalm 29 is about the power of God's voice. When he speaks, things happen according to his will. It's about the power of his voice in creation and providence. It speaks of his power to create and his power to rearrange, as he wills, his creation. It is the voice of the Lord that calls, that teaches, and it sends us forth from our gatherings in peace. We come to hear the thunderous voice of the Lord, even in whispers, if he should so do. So here in this psalm David of David is a classic hymn of praise, of prayer, and of worship. It's a psalm where we are challenged to bear witness to the glory of God, His glory and power as seen in His providences as well as in His Word. Psalm 19, for instance, teaches us that the voice of God can be heard in the otherwise wordless speech of natural events or the powerful forces of nature. It is the Lord who orders such things for his glory and our good. The Lord would say to Job, Where were you? Where were you when I formed the storm clouds? Where were you when I bound the cords of Orion? 
bound together the cluster of the Pleiades. Where were you? All of like thoughts stir our hearts to worship. Our psalm speaks of such forces and the voice or thunder of the Lord. The psalm is crafted in three parts. And this is probably a secondary outline that I put into your bulletin if you're taking notes. But it's crafted as a call of heavenly worship and then an exposition of God's divine majesty through the imagery of thunder, of a thunderous storm. And it concludes with speaking a final benediction. It is a classic picture of worship either here on earth or in glory in heaven. The parts could be rearranged in such way to the Lord belongs glory and strength. Again, to the Lord belongs power and might. And finally, to the Lord belongs goodness and grace. So let's note the heavenly call to worship. To the Lord belongs glory and strength. It is these things that we come into our sacred assemblies declaring and coming with rejoicing. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness is the idea there. Not our holiness, but the splendor of his beauty. And we see the repetition here. Give glory to God. Ascribe to him these things. The picture is heavenly worship because it is a call for the heavenly beings, the angels, the angelic assembly, the church of the firstborn that that is triumphant in glory. It's a picture of heavenly worship. Worship is fundamentally a reverential ascription or an acknowledgement of God's divine attributes especially his holiness. When we see heavenly worship in Isaiah, the heavenly host is singing, holy, holy, holy. Dial forward some 900 years. Do we see John on the Isle of Patmos? And what do we hear? What do we hear singing in the heavenly worship? Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. It goes on for 900 years at least, and I would say eternity. Every time we pull the veil of heaven back and get, get a, a quick vision, the holiness of God is being lifted up and ascribed to him. Now, God doesn't need this from his creation. He doesn't need us to tell him that he is holy. We don't add to his holiness when we get gather and worship him but we need it 
We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on the glory of God. And there's no better way to do this than ascribing to the Lord the glory that is due his name. And the Lord is pleased with us and his people when we worship this way. We add nothing to his person, but the Lord knows that we need it. So we are called upon with the heavenly host to ascribe glory and strength, to ascribe the glory that is due his name, and to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. In his devotional commentary, Leaf Over a Wall on the Life of David, Eugene Peterson gave this remarkable definition of worship. Hear this. Worship is that strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the time and place we assign for the deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because he's confined to time or place, but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all in other times and in other places. That's why we come into his presence with praise, confession, rejoicing, and humbly sitting before his word. Why? Because to the Lord and him alone belong glory and strength. But not only so, to the Lord belongs power and might. And here we see more repetition. It begins with a scribe mentioned three times. But here we hear the voice of the Lord seven times, almost as though it pictures that that perfect, well-rounded biblical number of completeness and perfection. The voice of the Lord repeated seven times. The so-called seven thunders, as several commentators make it a point. Because what is described here is a storm rolling off the Mediterranean Sea with its furious winds, its thunderous voice, its vicious lightning rolling in through Lebanon and into Mount Hermon or Syrian, moving from west to east and rearranging the land through the torrents of rain and the wind and the lightning, and bringing forth its fierceness in its thunder. But it's not only from east to west, it is a storm that sweeps over all of Israel, God's land, from north to south as well, from from Lebanon and Syrian all the way south to Kadesh and the desert lands And we see God speaks over his people, his territory, his temple, his church. 
these verses follow the storm's path from the Mediterranean as it makes its way inland from west to east and affects both north and south in its power rearranging the landscape and it settles over the waters it's where it all begins verse 3 the voice the thunderous voice of the Lord is over the waters it is over the Mediterranean Sea as it will unless we are uh, at a loss as to what is being spoken of here the Lord of glory thunders the Lord over many waters the word harks back here to creation at least in my mind to the waters of chaos over which the Spirit of God hovered in those early verses of Genesis chapter 1 the Spirit of God hovered over the waters before he uttered these mere words let there be and the world was rearranged the chaos was rearranged and out of that chaos came the order of creation the voice of the Lord settles over the water the voice of the Lord shows its power verse 4 the voice of the Lord is powerful if there is any one single attribute that is pictured in this storm it is the power the omniscience of the living God when we think we have things all in control the voice of the Lord speaks and rearranges life for us in judgment and yes even in mercy to say the least the voice of the Lord is like a storm it is powerful it is not only settles over the water it shows its power it is steeped in majesty a storm is frighteningly awe-inspiring in one sense we flee to cover in another sense we want to see its results the voice of the Lord is full of majesty says the Word of God so also is the might of the Lord John fell at Jesus glorious feet as dead Isaiah said woe is me I am undone yet even Moses said I want to see your face the Lord said uh-uh you wouldn't survive this the voice of the Lord is shatters the cedars the cedars of Lebanon we read about this in verse 5 and 6 the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox cedars in the Bible are symbols there's a symbolism to some of these these pictures that are used repeatedly poetically and otherwise 
It is a symbol of strength, of eternity, longevity. In the Christian tradition, it pictures and symbolizes holiness, eternity, yes, even peace. The Lebanese flag today bears the picture of a cedar in the middle of it. And yet the Lord treats these massive trees like they're toothpicks or standing straw. And when he blows on them, they snap. They break. They have no power before the voice of the Lord. Fifthly, the voice of the Lord sends forth flames. Verse 7 says, The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, picturing the striking of lightning just the other night. We had about two hours of a light show up in the Hinkley area. It just never quit. It was awe-inspiring and frightening all at the same time. Lightning in its power is a picture. It's pictured as the voice of the Lord, harking back to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law of God. And the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Verse 8. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Another Sinai image here as an example of God's awesome power, all wrapped up in this storm as it is described. And the voice of the Lord strips the forests bare. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes a deer give birth and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry glory. Through it all, one word, one word is as adequate to describe such power if we are honest. And that word is glory. Glory be to God. Alex Motier has said that in Yahweh's temple there is only one word, maybe shouted in exaltation may be whispered in awe. That word is glory. In one sense, this is the most important word in the whole of the psalm. If we said nothing else as we came into the presence of the Lord, but walked out with the word glory, then all worship leadership would have done its part pointing people to the glorious one. On Memorial Day, I had a taste of such a storm. You may recall that the weather report, the National Weather Service, was, was talking about a, a powerful front coming through. I watched it all day and kept track of it as I normally do when I hear of a storm. We don't have any place to hide or any place to run in our house. So if we were to take cover, it, 
would, we would have to leave and go somewhere else well before, before a storm struck. So I was watching it. Around three in the afternoon, I sat out on our front deck watching the lightning in the distance. What a glorious display of the mighty power of God. Around eight o'clock, as I had kind of given up on the weather service, because it's coming so slowly, the electricity flickered. And then it went out altogether. And I could hear things stirring outside in a way I hadn't heard before. So I walked into our front living room to see what was happening, and all of a sudden, the screen door blew off its tracks and into the middle of the living room, taking down lamps and shades and curtains and knocking over chairs and pouring in a torrent of rain and, and, uh, and vegetation and leaves and branches into the living room. I fled to get my wife, who was not... Um, aware of what had just happened. And um, I felt like a rat in a box for a moment, not knowing which corner to run to, because when the door came in, I thought the roof was going to be next. And the house shook, and the, the sound of fury outside, and I looked out the front window, and all I could see is the leaves of our maple tree. And in 45 seconds or so, it passed. I didn't go outside for nearly a half an hour because the lightning was just too close and too dangerous. And it continued to rain, and the wind was blowing, but the damage had been done, and I managed to negotiate the sliding door back into its track so that more rain wouldn't be pouring in and doing more damage. And when I finally went outside, stepped out the front door, I said, glory. No, I didn't say that, actually. <laughs> I should have said, I said something else that I should have said, glory. But I was aware in that singular moment of the mighty power of the living God rearranging our property. In the immediate vicinity, all our beautiful, nine of our beautiful trees were down. Two of them on the house, one of them on our shed, and our shed was literally a 40, 30 by 40 pole barn which just blown apart. The neighbor, who is, 30, is a quarter mile from the south, garbage from his house, siding and the like, was mixed into ours on our property. we looked like we lived in a jungle of felled trees. All in 45 seconds. Neighbor came down to see if we were all right, and we together kind of surveyed the damage on three properties that are kind of adjacent to each other. And I looked up, and there is this beautiful rainbow <laughs> arching its way across the sky. I instantly thought, no, I didn't think of any wokeness. I thought 
of God's promise of peace and took a picture of this beautiful arch. And then I came upon this psalm, knowing it would be something I would be addressing very soon. And it's taken on a whole new flavor for me. The voice of the Lord spoke and laid flat on our road large stands of trees, not only just around our house, but all over the wooded area. Tangles of downed trees. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, says John in Revelation 10, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, and when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Commentators have speculated what those seven thunders were. It was the voice of the Lord. And when God speaks, he rearranges the world around us in judgment or in grace. To the Lord belongs glory and strength. To the Lord belongs power and might. To the Lord belongs goodness and grace. That's where, that's where worship should always end. It ends on the hope that we have and is offered to us in Christ. The Lord sits enthroned over the floods. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. That's where his interest lies. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Here we have a final benediction. Crafted in a benedictory style. Again, Derek Kidner notes that the psalm moves from heaven to earth, from nature in uproar to people, the God's people in peace. Nature in uproar to God's people in peace. To life in turmoil to God's people in hope. We find this only in the Christian faith. It's found nowhere else. These verses might be a future promise or a benediction. Yet the outcome is the same. The Lord is an enthroned king who cares about us, his people. Cares about our well-being. And more significantly, the psalm moves from the chaos of the world to the peace of Calvary. Its very last word is shalom where the thunder of God's judgment was assuaged by the rainbow of God's grace. May the Lord bless his people with peace. 
It's at the cross where the thunderous voice of God was spoken to his son so that we may not have to endure its judgment. And in turn, he spoke peace to his people through the cross. A.W. Tozier says, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. One afternoon, the disciples were with Jesus on a, in a small boat on the Sea of Galilee, a sea where storms could, could come up in a moment, and one did. Jesus was sleeping in the bow of this small boat while the disciples were furiously and fearfully bailing for fear of certain death. They awakened the Lord Jesus and said, Don't you care? And Jesus chided them, Oh, you of little faith. He stood up, lifted his hands, and he thundered, although he could have whispered, Peace. And instantly, there was calm. Be still. Now, these people didn't know physics, probably had never read a physics textbook, but they knew intuitively that energy bound up in the waves cannot dissipate that fast. And we are told their reaction was not to sing a sailor's song and slap each other on the back, but we are told if they knew fear over the storm, they, knew, they really knew fear over Jesus. Because now all their categories about his glory were blown away. And all they could say is, who is this? Because they know, they knew the only one whose voice could speak and rearrange things was the voice of Yahweh. When Jesus was about to be lifted up, John tells us in chapter 12, the Lord spoke to his Son audibly and in words, but the people didn't understand it. It says, they, all they heard was thunder. And isn't that what was announced at Christmas when the angels appeared to the shepherds? They sang, glory, glory, glory to God in the highest and peace. Glory and peace, glory and peace. That, my friend, is the essence of the Reformed faith. Glory and peace, the glory of God who offers peace in Christ to those who look to him and rest in his precious name. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, seal these words to our hearts this day. Open our hearts to your spirit and your word. Rearrange 
our lives that have been cluttered with sadness and confusion, we might see the rainbow of peace in our soul granted to us by your love in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.